back to the Y Hockey periodically, which of these two owners in the Stanley Cup Finals is a bigger shill for the United States Army podcast. Not enough people have talked about the fact that both of these owners are gigantic shills for the United States Armed Forces. Yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, I am against the military-industrial complex, and it's crossover into sports and that CD. Uh, whole affair, you know, especially with some issues that people say we need to keep politics out of sports. Well, there's no bigger politics than than the military. So happy Pride Month, everybody. If you're a bigot, get the hell out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's in, it's interesting from the angle of I wonder if Viola is putting money on the board, <laughs> you know, or if Foley's in there putting money on the board, like, listen, like, I can't lose this to him. Like, you know, we all, we have billions of dollars and, and, you know, this is, we, we do our pissing contests and having a cup would be the ultimate one. Um, and, and the way with Viola's year going with, you know, taking his horse out of the Kentucky Derby, uh, he's probably ready to, to win something. Uh, so I wonder what his incentivization is, in that locker room for Florida. Um, you know, but other than that, you know, I'm really not trying to think of the owners or I'm really not trying to think of the fact that, you know, during this historic run, they're wearing the ugliest jerseys when they could wear any other Jersey in their history besides the, the jet blue thirds. Uh, and it'd be great. Um, you know, I'm not trying to, to remember that there's, you know, the, the stalls and cousins of it all, you know, off ice stuff. I'm trying not to, you know, just because it's one more series. I just want to really enjoy this and bask in it. And I know that's selfish of me, but I've put myself through a lot of pain just following this team. I, I kind of want to just in, enjoy it. I think we should very much just... As best we can, and we're not necessarily the best people for this, but I've kind of turned my brain off, you know, at least after game one against Carolina, I turned my brain off because at that point, when you win a game the way they won that game, and I texted you after that game the next day, because the goal happened when I was trying to sleep, attempting to and failing. I said after that, like, they're winning the cup. You don't score goals like that. And not have my opinion turned because I've always been I don't want to say skeptical of them but I've always been like this feels a little too good to be true and now I'm realizing it's not because it is true there's that aspect of it and you know that's you know the narrative aspect and for, for me personally you know Florida has that edge over Las Vegas um you know they kind of have some good storylines but they're a little more individual and a little less you know, overall as a team and, and a little less, you know, kind of consistent big moments and, and back to back and everything uh, like the Panthers, you know, have been able to string along all, all playoffs. Um, you know, it's not the Golden Knights who have played the top four out of the top five teams in the league. It's been the Panthers, you know, um, so they kind of have that going for them. Uh, but for me, it's, like on the other side of the narrative is 
how and and there's other parts of the narrative too. There's uh you know the expansion franchise, you know one long term expansion franchise trying to win, and then one spoiled franchise who's this is their second trip in six years, and they've been to the conference final multiple years and four times you know, out of six the, years in their existence they've been to a conference yeah, final. Yeah, and I mean, and how many years have they been over the salary cap? I mean, it's just been amazing. Uh, so. I guess the Panthers but, yeah, were over I, the salary cap this year too. Patrick Hornquist's uh, uniquely timed injury, which hopefully yeah, is, is healing I mean, well. I I did. I don't want to. Me- I don't want to interrupt too much because I didn't want to let this podcast kind of be a little stream of consciousness of joy. But I did see Patrick Hornquist in the celebrations when they had the trophy, and that was pretty cool. I have yeah. to admit. Yeah, good for him. I mean, it's it's unfortunately, you know, all, everything's kind of pointing to retirement after this. And I'm sure whether it is in Florida or with another team, he'll be in hockey ops, you know, doing something because he seems to, I I don't know if it's just maybe because it's this year and he really, you know, and he's still kind of in that player mode. Um, he, He really does seem to be enjoying his time for as much as somebody who's not allowed to play when they want to play. Uh, can be he can be um, another great addition yeah. to the front office he, he would be an awesome sweden scout <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah but i mean he he embodies what you know paul maurice you know wanted to bring in that you know somebody who's a battler somebody who's uh scored big goals and big moments and be able to settle it down um you know, we talked. You're, we were just talking about that overtime winning goal and the narrative. You know, if they score that, you know, how can they not win the cup? Uh, the Florida, I mean, the Philadelphia Flyers, Keith Primo uh, show one way how you could do that. I mean, the Ducks uh, also had a ridiculous not... overtime goal in their run. I think it was in five overtimes, and they didn't win the cup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like there's, uh, you know, but I, I do, I do agree that they have that narrative for them Cinderella story and, and all of that um, but I think that they're also better and they have the edges in a lot of you know on paper because we don't know how they're going to play against each other yet really um, on paper you know they got the edge in goaltending I think they have the edge in the top talent and the four in the top nine in the forwards um, for me I I think you know skaters maybe they have vegas has a better fourth line but i i just like the way they match up together and i would take i'm gonna take florida over vegas uh and i just hope it that's borne out uh because it would be brutal to see vegas lift their first cup be so successful have to deal with uh, some of that other narrative about expansion drafts and who let who go and all get into oh it never Um, dies it will never go away but i want to talk about the positive stuff first and this is us not in journalistic mode or in covering mode in fan mode never in journalistic mode just for for me for me i know you're never in journalistic mode i am in journalistic mode but just as a fan because we also want to cover this as objectively as we can but what's been the most enjoyable part of this run because it's one of those situations where you don't it's it's one of those things where you don't recognize it so much in the moment it happens later but now that we've had these 10 days off pretty much what has been the most fun part of this whole journey cuz there's a lot of them and yeah, I there's mean, so much to it, celebrate and we'll look back on for the rest of our lives 
Well, especially if they win. I mean, I, I'm a little more of a traditionalist. I don't know how, how happy I'll... I mean, the run will be great and everything, but it's going to have a real sour end. You know, bitter taste, if sour taste, if it doesn't work out well. But for me, it's the best players being the best players. Um, we, you know, win or lose, there's. I don't think the talk's going to be around is this the core to win or not? It's going to be what do they need to, you know, how can they keep this core together and keep, you know, trying to improve the team until they win win the cup? And that's a much better conversation to be having than, you know, what components are necessary to get this stew going. The stew's going, you know, they, they've had a couple great series They've been able to make differences when they haven't been able to score goals or get on the score sheet. Um, you know, Montour has nine points. You know, that's pretty good for the playoffs. But Evan Bouchard, you know, Riley, Heiskanen, Schultz, Devon Taves, Brett Burns, guys who are out of the lineup, you know, out of the season already have just as many points as him or more. You know, Bouchard has like 17 or something. But that's not what really matters in the postseason. Montour has really stepped up his game and continued what he did down the stretch. And, you know, him, Barkov, and Kachuk being one of the best players in the game at their position, not to mention Bobrovsky, who, in my opinion, like, Aiden Hill has been good, but he hasn't had to have as much of chances, as long of games. I mean, he doesn't have 50 saves, 40-some saves, you know, 30-plus saves. He's in the low 20s, mid-20s, game after game. Uh, and, you know, he, he's playing well, but it's Bobrovsky who's really stepping up. Um, and it's those best players, like, really asserting themselves and showing that they're made for this moment. Um, you know, what Barkov's doing defensively and still being able to chip up chip chip in offensively um i mean i'm loaded right here but i mean his his even strength points you know are still pretty high um he's ninth in even strength points in the league um in the in the postseason uh you know right around william carlson he's one behind matthew kachuk uh you know so it's he's tied with with mark stone um, you know, you can't complain about that. But then you look at there's no forward playing defense having the impact that Barkov, Barkov is having. So you put that together, and it's just been, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for for not having to defend him to or, or Barkov or, you know, or Ekblad. I mean, Ekblad was really struggling coming back from his injury, and now – I mean, he's just been almost an unsung hero uh, because we've been talking about Bobrovsky and Kachuk so much um, and then just the overall team effort. But he's just been like this is the performance you expected out of him and you wanted him when you heard his name called at number one. You know, when when you look back, it's those things of, you know, when they get to a game seven or when they get to a closeout game, they don't let teams back in. They, they, they sewn two series up pretty quickly. Um, and it was because their best players led the way, were unrelenting, and everybody else followed. I love it. Like, that is exactly what we wanted. Uh, and it's not in the way where it's like, 
McDavid and Drysdale like dragging their team, you you know you can look around and say that they're rising the tide of the team and bringing everybody with them, um, and it's just everything the mojo everything's going right um and you're just hoping that they can just keep it going keep it going ride all the waves uh in this final series uh and come out on top it's amazing because when we talked about the struggles that this team was having earlier in the year because we expected more of them than what we had seen obviously i don't think it was ever doubting that the core of this team wasn't the right mix you know, we had seen Matthew Kachuk be really good. I can remember on this show in November or December saying, this dude's a heart candidate if this keeps up, and it did. But, of course, the stars being great has been such an awesome story for a kickoff, but it isn't even just that. It's how they've proven what we already knew about them and proven that in the case of Alexander Barkov, like, this is one of the best centers we've ever seen. You know, it's Aaron Ekblad, because we had talked a lot about him maybe not being the guy, right? As a number one build your blue line around him type guy, but in the postseason, he's proven that he can be that. You know, you think about, you think about everybody else, though, who's also driven their game up, and have played not just to their talent, but above their talent and above expectations and beyond their ceilings. I mean, that's what's really impressed me is that it's almost been everybody has played better than you could have expected from them. And my biggest concern coming into the season was not just some of the depth issues and obviously the coach, and we'll talk about the coach, but to me it was, how can you get this team to be better than what it's, the sum, not just the sum of its parts, but the ceiling for some of these players, right? And almost everyone's played above their ceiling. And that's an incredible testament to all of those players. And it's not just the stars. It's the guys who might be the step below the stars, like a Reinhardt or a Bennett, who have all that potential and have played above it. Or even somebody like, you know, Mahur and Gudis, who have done that too. It's that collective effort that's been so much fun to watch. And for so many players that we have loved, to get them to show that to the world and to show the hockey world that this is these are players who you've got to talk about as some of the best at their positions in the game, that's really, really cool. And it's cool for a lot of different players in different ways. I, I, it's, it's been hard waiting for, for the next series. Um, and, you know, with more of the time in between series, it's kind of, it's kind of been like, all right, well, let's keep, you know, let's think about what, the Golden Knights do well. Let's think about what the Florida Panthers do well. And you hear all of that stuff and people are making picks and, and, you know, there's always lessons that people try to superimpose on the hockey from the playoffs. And, And right now, one of those lessons for me is that like, it all goes out the window as soon as the first goal gets scored in a series, you know, after then it, then it's the adjustments. Then it's about how well, you know, thing, you know, how well not only do you play, but how well are penalties called? Uh, you know, what what's the flow of the game that way? Are you able to adapt to that? Are you able to adapt to the bounces? Uh, are you able to call back if you're behind? Are you able to keep the pressure down if you're ahead? Um, and just, you know, who makes the last adjustment and who makes the last successful adjustment 
you know, kind of some sometimes wins. Uh, you know, I th- I would say you know usually wins in, in the in the Stanley Cup final, um, and I think for Florida that bodes well. I'm not sure Vegas has had the same sort of postseason that Florida's had, um, where they've really found ways to play play a lot of different ways and kind of shut down and then lean into their style and, and kind of get, you know, win those big moments. I, I think Vegas has more so outclassed and just had a, a, a better uh, a team. And, you know, like, I don't think as much as we like to say, like teams just stopped, didn't, you know, teams like you Toronto choked or something or Boston choked. Uh, you know, I, I think the team showed up against the, the Panthers a little more. Um, I Dallas, I mean, I, I don't know what that was, but, you know, between Ottinger and Ben uh, and Sutter, there's just some guys who literally just turned off their brains for a whole series. Um, I, I don't think you could say, you know, that happened against Florida. Um, and, you know, their first round matchup uh, against Winnipeg, I thought was easier than any series uh, Florida had to play. Um, and I'm just hoping that if Florida gets on, gets in front, Vegas is going to struggle because they're going to be in a position that they're, they're not in. Whereas if, you know, Florida's goes behind, they're on the road, they've adjusted, they've played well on the road. They've been able to claw back, you know, they just need to get that, they just need to split those first two games. I think they'd be much more easy to uh, to play through it. Get get Vegas on their heels. I'm not so sure uh, that they can recover. You know, you put you you win game one, and I, I think you really you really put doubt into a locker room. Um, I think that's more susceptible to give in to that doubt. You know what's funny about this? And that it's Vegas, not just for the obvious jokes we made about the owners being shills for the Army, but back in March, when they had their first real burst of good hockey after the trade deadline, they played a Tuesday night game against the Golden Knights, and they won 2-1. And it was the first time in a while, and I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I certainly thought it watching the game, and I might have even texted you this, where I said, this is what I expected Paul Maurice, Florida Panthers hockey to look like. And they played, that felt like a playoff game, and they played pretty much a perfect game that night. And it's funny how they're now going and playing against Vegas again, and I wonder if if they're going back and looking at that tape. I don't know if they are, but, you know, it's a Tuesday night regular season game in March, and Vegas is traveling, what can you do? But it was that game where the dominant reaction we had at the time was, why haven't you shown us this more often? You know what I mean? Because Vegas was the best team in the West at the time. We know how good they are and how good they can be. And the Panthers just outclassed them. And they had a lead in the third period when they played in Vegas and blew it because that was the thing they did in the regular season. I think the other story is just that what they had been in the regular season, the team that If they gave up the first goal, they couldn't adjust. You know, if they faced adversity or 
you know, a bad goal went in, a bad penalty call. They couldn't fight through it. And then in the playoffs, everything's just switched. It's almost like nothing phases them. And when I wrote on the Substack about the communication that is so important this time of year and why Paul Maurice and Bill Zito are really good at it and how that's helped this team, it's offered a look into just how this team and its attitude totally changed from the regular season to the playoffs. And that's what's going to be their their key in this series, whether you think they're more talented or deeper or not, and you can debate that. Their mindset and their willingness to do the things that they couldn't do in the regular season and that weren't present when we know that they were there, now they're there, and now they just feel like nothing phases them. And that's the mark of a really good team. Because when you look back at cup champions, they all face adversity, but they overcome it, you know? I mean, the Capitals in 20, what was it, 2018, they were down 3-2 to the Lightning, and Brayden Holpe got two shutouts in Game 6 and 7 to win that series. You know, last year, the Avs faced some adversity against St. Louis. They were nearly going overtime in Game 6. They got, you know, beat at home and had to go to Tampa, where the Lightning don't lose. Like, all good cup teams face adversity, but then overcome it, mostly in unique ways. But I think this Panthers team has overcome adversity in a lot of unique ways. And, and I talked about it, I think, with David a little bit, is that once this team realized that they can put the pressure on the other team because they were always going to have the pressure, not Florida because of who they were in their regular season, they've been able to use that to their advantage. And, they, and in the Carolina series, what that meant was they just got the Hurricanes frustrated because once you frustrate that team, they can't do what they're really good at. And Florida didn't care that the games were one nothing or whatever and you know, the Hurricanes were getting a bunch of their point shots. You know what I mean? And now, can they do that to the Golden Knights? Can they get them frustrated? Can they make them the team that has to do all of the dictating of play, the dictating of the terms of the series, in the sense that Florida can do that, but even if they don't do that, they're not going to get phased by it. You know what I mean? And that's what's been so impressive in watching this run, is that they've been so adaptable. And I did not expect that from a Paul Maurice team, but I give them a ton of credit, that coaching staff. And it's working. It's working extremely well. Well, I mean, they became adaptable. They're both the, I think, you know, the, the losses they had in the series, where they were in the playoffs, they started to, you know, they had more pride then they had sense. If they had sense, they would have stopped trying. You know, the season would have been over. But they had more pride. And for whatever reason, you know, a lot of teams aren't able to just dig themselves out that way. Um, but, you know, they were willing to compromise on some things. I, th- I think Maurice compromised on the way he was structuring the forwards the way he was structuring the team playing the D zone. Um, I think that they decided to do a little more quick ups with the pucks and, and a little more uh, instead of dump and grind it out or instead of a lot more cycling to be a lot more North South quick attacks with those East West passes that they like to use and kind of, but in turn, I think the defensemen started being a little more structured so they could allow the forwards to, you know, play a little more loose and play a little more uh, with the puck uh, and play a little more with speed. 
you know, but it's not. So I think it was kind of the best of everybody kind of getting, you know, getting along enough that they wanted to work for each other. They wanted to trust each other. And, you know, the players got to play a little more of their style. The coach got a little more buy-in in his style and the belief that it would turn into wins if they kept committing themselves to it. And what what you ended up with was, you know, a guy like Matthew Kachuk committing himself more to defense. A guy like Sam Bennett, you know, committing himself more to defense and, and playing a, a certain way uh, constantly. Um, and it, it manifested in in better results. Why? Because they got lucky and they saw that, Hey, they were getting results. Hey, they made the playoffs playing this way. They were able to do it. They were able to keep going. Yeah. There was, there was luck involved, but they saw results and that's what kept them pushing. You know, when they were down in the, in the series against Boston, they kept looking at the tapes and saying the way we're playing is generating goals they're starting to crumble. We know it's a series. If we keep chipping away, that foundation is going to give out. Uh, and they, they could see Orlov. They could see Lindholm. They could see McAvoy kind of giving, giving, giving turnovers, you know. Uh, they wore down. Starting to, yeah, crumb, yeah, getting worn down under pressure. And it was easy to kind of keep doing what they were doing, knowing that they would get those offensive chances, you know, at the right time, you know, chip and chase. And, and this is something that I don't think other teams have done successfully against Florida, but where Vegas will is put the pucks in the soft space behind the D, get them to turn around, beat them the pucks, outnumber them the pucks, and, and get it quick to the net. Vegas is very good at that too. Those indirect passes, those soft space passes um, behind the heels of the defenseman. And with a guy like Mark Stahl, who, you know, has been playing above what we consider his, his ceiling at, at this age right now, um, you know, they're going to be targeting that in the same way that Toronto and Carolina tried to. Um, and, you know, hopefully Mark Stahl can keep, keep bending but not breaking and, and and you know not giving up any you know ill-timed goals just getting turned and stuff or getting caught out of position um you know same with Ekblad, Forsling, Montour I mean these are all guys who have that propensity uh to turn to pivot the wrong way to leave a little too much space behind them where a puck can get in to a dangerous area um and you know that's something that hopefully they're going to be ready for we've seen that the coaches the video coaches have done a good job adjusting to what carolina wants to do what toronto wants to do i mean they, they weren't able to do it against florida because you know florida was ready for it something that they weren't you know ready for last postseason which was to match up against teams and and take away their strengths play target their weaknesses and step on the throat uh it's been great to see uh i think florida will you know hopefully that d can step up you know we just talked about the forwards being much better defensively this year so that's going to cover some gaps and um you know the biggest change that i think they made 
was instead of stretching out the team in the way they used to do, in the way that Maurice was kind of allowing some of that run and gun and the, and to, to play out in the beginning of the season, is they started getting more five in the picture. They started playing more tighter to the puck and in frame of the TV altogether so they can make short, simple passes. They could all be moving together up ice in speed instead of kind of being stretched and kind of accordion in and out, in and out. Um, where you can kind of get, be exposed and, and, and the other team can kind of target passing lanes a little easier, um, especially after turnovers. So for Florida, you know, I think that they're doing the right things to, to be ready for what Vegas is going to throw at them. One of the things we haven't talked about is they, they keep saying that like Vegas has more experience than, than Florida. Uh, I, I know that they're probably a, a average age, a little older, um, but or, or roughly the same. And, and I guess it's because this team has been more recently in the Stanley Cup final, has been deeper in the playoffs and everything. But I haven't gone back to check how many cups there are. But there's some guys. There's been enough guys on the Panthers bench, uh, coaching and players wise, that have been here before. Um, so I don't think that's really going to come into play. I think Florida is going to be ready for the moment. Uh, so I'm not really worried about that. I'm just worried that this hasn't started yet. <laughs> and I'm going to chew through my fingers or, you know, lose my mind or or not be able to concentrate at work for weeks on end because this is just I mean, this I mean it's, it's the, it's so the first time in 27 years that they've done anything like this. I forgive you. I forgive anybody who's out there doing this. I want to say that part of what you were talking about in the, the forwards being better defensively, and this is where Alexander Barkov's, you know, soft-spokenness soft uh, sometimes doesn't translate. You know, because Matthew Kachuk's a great quote and all that. We're, we're focusing on him. But Alexander Barkov's always been a, an example, do-by-example leader. You know, you saw Jackie Redman of uh, NHL Network and TNT post all these crazy stats of what he's doing defensively in his own zone. And it's just insane what he's doing. A little sick at the start of the playoffs, but then he's just gotten better and better as it's gone on. And... When he and everybody knows how hard he works, and everybody knows what he's capable of, and everybody therefore follows his example of like, if he can do it, then we can do it. We might not be as good as him because nobody is, but it's that kind of example of leadership from Barkoff by example that is just it's so powerful. And when you see what he does in the defensive zone, and then the play he can make in game two, where you know, Wayne Gretzky says it's one of the best goals he's seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, that's a that's an incredible leader to follow. And for all of the happiness I feel for so many people involved in this, Alexander Barkov getting to show everyone that this has always been who he is as a player and that he is one of the greatest all-around centers we've ever seen in hockey, like, that's really, really good and cool. Because it's one thing if we keep saying that over and over and over again for years— but now it's another for him to do it on the biggest stage when everybody's watching. And hopefully people are now going to no longer say he's underrated because they don't watch Panthers games. Now they can say, okay, no, he's always been this good yeah. all the time. And I that mean, leadership it, by it, example is just so incredible to watch, right? 
I I love the 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 Ford matchup this series. Eichel Stone, Barkov Kachuk. I mean, I I you got the two best Americans right now going head to head. I think you got the two best 200 foot centers. You know, going at the moment this year. You know, has kind of been borne out in the playoffs. Um, Stone's very good defensively. Uh, Kachuk is, you know, just absolutely stepping up in every moment. Uh, and always kind of doing things that, you know, Eichel and Stone can't, you know, not any other forwards can do with just the sheer amount of chance creation and domination around the crease, domination after the whistle, whistle and getting in the head, getting into the heads of, of his opponents. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be amazing to see how it plays out. Um, you know, I think Eichel versus Barkov is going to be fantastic. Whether they go head-to-head or, you know, it's just which center gets the best of the other team. Um, it's going to be – I can't wait to see it. Uh, I, I'm very interested, very interested to see what that matchup is. Very interested to see, you know, if, if Eichel is able to do what he, you know, has done uh, with what – could, should be his hardest matchup. Um, and, and similar to Barkov, I think he's going to get his hardest matchup. Um, and this is where, you know, their careers are going to start to become more and more defined, what they do in this series. Um, and there's a couple centers right now who would love to be playing uh, in, in that moment, and Connor McDavid, um, Jason Roberson, uh, Rube Hens, you know, those guys Austin have Matthews. been Austin Matthews. I mean, like there are guys who would love to be able to prove what Eichel and Barkov are about to do and prove. And, uh, for me, it, it's, it's great because the way they play, the way they, the way they skate, the way, um, they're just powerful they dictate the game but also have this smoothness um and and you know this just ability to be underrated in what they do on the ice and and kind of subtle in what they do at such a high level on the ice Um, i think that's what i want the league to copycat so uh, it's going to be great that that's going to be on stage where all the GMs are going to, you know, take their notes on what, what they're going to think is the most important next season. Well, you want to know what's uh, interesting? And, and One of the observations I saw from from neutrals, the, the journalists or neutral fans, was just, when, when on Eichel's perspective, was the subtleties of his game and how the playoffs have, you know, elevated the subtleties of his game. And I think I tweeted, it's like, if you're a hockey nerd, then Barkov versus Eichel is probably your dream center matchup. Because they can be flashy, but that's not their whole story. It's the underrated small stuff. The stuff that you can't count in terms of stats. Even microstats, you can't even necessarily track it. But you just know that all these little plays that they make and how they're able to dictate the tempo of certain segments of the game by that is so, is so key for both of them. And, I mean, for Jack Eichel, I do feel happy. He got out of Buffalo. He got the surgery he wanted. You know, he took control of his own destiny. You might not like that he went to Vegas. He's, health, but... he's healthy enough to do this, and I think that's that's huge, I, I think, for the future of player advocacy when it comes to their their own recoveries and their own, um, you know, health. 
because, you know, he got what he wanted and he quickly showed that he had the results to back it you up. You want to know another player I want to talk about for this series who might be an heir to the, you know, I should be a Selkie winner as a winger throne? I think you all know who we're talking about at this point. Who? Sam Reinhart. <laughs> Has he had yeah. an incredible He's... postseason or what? He's been great. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you can see that there's probably four, five forwards on Vegas that have just been top line level or above, you know, like top end, top line level. And the same on the Panthers. I mean, there's Bennett Kachuk, Barkov, Verhage, uh, you know, Reinhardt. There's just been so much. And, and the thing is, like, you know, guys like William Carlson, uh, you know, these guys are playing, you know, chess on the ice. These, these are high, high IQ players. These are guys who aren't just, aren't just, you know, dangling around guys. Of course they're doing that. But they're, they're seeing plays that other people aren't seeing. They're making these long p- passes, you know, behind skates or in between legs and stuff like that. They're, they're controlling the tempo and then suddenly slowing it down to create an opening and, and find a back door. They're, they're showing poise under pressure and in big moments. Um, it, it's been great. I mean, Ryan Hart has been great in the face-off circle. He's been tipping pucks. Um, I mean, I think he's actually, and you told me this, that he's been the most used player in the defensive zone, one or two in terms of Florida forwards, Barkoff being the other. And it's incredible to watch. Again, his game is even more subtle than Barkov's is in certain ways. And, I mean, not just because he's taking D-zone face-offs and that they don't really care, you know, when they deploy him. That's such a big deal because for years, every Florida coach, no matter how good they were, had to throw Barkov out in those situations because they had no other choice. They didn't have another guy they trusted in that matchup. And now... They can throw Sam Reinhardt out there, whether it's with his line or whether if it's another type of situation. If they need that guy in the faceoff circle and they know they have somebody who is responsible defensively and just thinks the game at an extremely high level, they just throw him out there and he makes the play. Or it's the he's making the play on the power play, you know, and his offensive instincts are great. We've seen that too. It's just. Maybe his ceiling isn't as high as some of these other players we've talked about, but for all around just greatness at everything that we've seen in these playoffs, like Sam Reinhardt's incredible. And again, we're talking about really high draft pick that didn't connect with team he played for in the Sabres. There's a lot of former Sabres in this series, funny enough, but I obviously thought he was a great addition when the Panthers added him. I thought he was really good last year. He started really slowly this year, but this postseason... It's proven how good a lot of players are for Florida, but I don't think any player has, I don't want to say surprised me because that's not what's happened here, but has proven so much in such a short period of time more than Sam Reinhart has. And that's not to say Brandon Montour hasn't done a lot of incredible things. Most of the offense was in the Boston series and not that some other players haven't already done that, but I knew how good Matthew Kachuk was. I knew how good Barkoff was. But Sam Reinhardt, in just the total elevation of his game, has proven to be an exceptionally great postseason player and just an exceptionally great all-around player. And, I mean, 
if I was going to talk about who might be third on Panthers, you know, Con Smythe ballots behind Bobrovsky and Kachuk, it would probably be Reinhardt, even over Barkov. No way. No way. No way. I might. I no might. Way. Stop. 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 You're, you're you're getting ahead of yourself. Okay, fine. I mean, Barkov's playing more minutes, playing the bigger minutes, got more points. You know, has the highlight real goals. You know. Barkov's what, you know, scoring the tying goals and getting them back in the game. Kachuk scoring the winning goals. I mean, I like Reinhardt and everything, but I don't know. I, I, I think we would that. be remiss if we didn't get to the Sergei Bobrovsky point at some portion of this podcast because we have to. And maybe it's because when I log in to, you know, upload these podcasts to post it to the world, I still see comments from people maybe years old. You have to get off the Bobrovsky train. Well, I'm not saying that, again, we were right just early, but in the case of Sergei Bobrovsky, I wanted to... I don't know who pointed it out. It might have been Kevin Woodley, who we've had on this show and is obviously wonderful. It might have been you. It may have been somebody else. But any goalie can get hot in the playoffs. Like you're going to mention the 2010 Flyers when multiple Flyers goalies got hot, right? Any goalie can get hot in the postseason. You know, Jordan Binnington got hot in the postseason. We know how good he is. Matt Murray also got hot in the postseason. But the difference is, if you have the kind of talent that Sergei Bobrovsky has always had, and you have the work ethic that he has, if it all clicks at the right time as we are seeing, he becomes pretty much impossible to beat. And I'm not saying you go sunk cost fallacy or goaltenders shouldn't cost as much as, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky. You're not going to be paying that much for a goalie ever again, probably unless you're Vasilevsky or Shosturkin. But for Sergei Bobrovsky, this is a, a vindication for how good he's been. And we knew that he could be this good. We've seen it in fits and spurts. But I think this is a vindication for just him and his approach. And obviously he has a unique athletic skill set that not many goaltenders have. But to watch him elevate his game and to prove that the guy who won Vesna's and the guy who has always had this talent available is still very much there and he can summon it in these key moments, that's also really cool to see because I felt bad that he signed this contract and it's never quite worked out for him being that guy in the regular season. But now he's proven that guy's still there at 33 or 34. And that's awesome to see. Because I think you and I both knew it was always there. And whether it was the team in front of him. It was the team coaches, in front of him. Okay, there. I mean, like, I mean, it was it was everything. It was the lack of stability. It was, you know, like, you can't have a goalie. Like, it's not, like, even Lundqvist. You know, Lundqvist could be as good as he wanted. But he still had to have a, you know, a, a team that was decent enough to like give him the amount of time in the playoffs to show you that he could really do it. Um, same with Florida. They needed to have a team that could, you know, give him a shot to actually get hot, get into, you know, and, and take off into the playoffs. They almost, you know, they almost went to the playoffs without playing him. You know, it was not, it was some, a lot of people wanted Lyon to, to, you know, restart you know, and Bobrovsky would have just played half that game. Um, and, and Florida would probably be out, I, I would bet money would be out of it in the first round. We're talking about what coach should play replace Maurice. We should be talking, you know, we'd be talking about 
can Zito save the ship? You know, how much time are we giving him? And, and yada, 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 because it's a much different story. Um, Bobrovsky is a top-end goalie. I mean, he, I don't know if he's a Henrik Lundqvist-level goalie or Roberto Luongo-level goalie, but he has that talent level and is close. And that's what they paid for. I didn't like the number. It was probably a couple million too much and everything, but that's the way the NHL was then pre-COVID and everything. That's just what it was. The owner signed off on it. Dale Talon had to do it. You know, that's what the owners wanted. He had to do it. Just like with the Yandel contract, that's not what Yandel was worth, but that's what the owners wanted to pay. You got to do it. And everybody, you know, now I think would pay $10 million if, you got if Bobrovsky is able to to finish this out and take it home, hundred percent worth the contract. You would pay seventy million dollars for a Stanley Cup winning goaltender who is either going to get the Conn Smythe or come in second or at worst third in the voting for Conn Smythe. Uh, you know, like you would pay seventy million dollars for that. Doesn't matter that you know he could be garbage the rest of the way of the contract and he was you know, struggled all the way up to now. But if he brings home that prize, it's going to be one of the best contracts in the history of Florida Panthers hockey. And you're just going to have to accept it. Just like, I mean, you know, if he wins guys, the Conn Smythe, which obviously he could do, he's got two Vezinas, a Conn Smythe, and a cup. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of yeah, Fame goaltender. You would, you would imagine. You would and imagine so, yeah, of course to. the contract uh, might have been overpaid, but flags fly forever. <laughs> like, and mm-hmm. and... I think that sometimes we lose sight in talking about when it's the regular season or even in previous postseasons where he wasn't as good. 2022, he was perfectly fine, and the team in front of him was the reason why they lost to Tampa the way they did. But we lose sight of, you know, obviously we always can just throw it out when we say goaltending is voodoo, but when you have a goalie with that much talent, you know that if you get it, even a little bit, and you can chain that together. In Sergei Bobrovsky's case, this is only a you know this is a nine game sample. Like that's not a lot of hockey. Let's be honest. These are the nine most important games of the year until the Stanley Cup final. But it's nine games of hockey. He wasn't great in the three games, three and a half games, or four and a half games, I should say, against Boston. I keep undercounting how many he actually played. But I want to say about those Boston games, he did what he had to do, and I think he made really key decisions. You know, I go back to Game 7 in overtime where I forget what Bruin it was. I think it might have been Pasternak. They drive the net, right, to his left. The net gets knocked off. The pegs are a little loose. And Sergei Bobrovsky's first reaction is, I'm going over to the referee say, pegs are loose. Got to fix it. Fix the ice. Slows the game down completely. And yeah. And those were the kind, and I said it to you, in the, I think he did it a little in earlier Game 7. He might have done it in Game 6. And it was, those are not saves. Those are not the crazy save he made in game three with the blocker where he's throwing a stick, right? But those are the kind of moments where he is so dialed into the tempo of the game. He knows, all right, we're sinking a little bit. Let's slow the game down. The ice is choppy in my crease. Got to fix it. Or I'm going to take this puck, this shot that I could keep moving. You know, I could keep the play rolling. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to freeze it. I'm going to get a face off and I'm going to buy my team some time just to get their sea legs back. That is next level great goaltending. And 
Again, a bunch of other good goalies have done it in the past, but Sergei Bobrovsky is doing it. He is so in sync with his team now that he knows instinctively, I got to slow the game down here. I know we're playing really well. Let's keep it moving here. You know what I mean? And he hasn't really had the chance to do that all that much as a Panther, but that's what elite goalies do. And he's playing like an elite goalie. And it's those little moments, that Game 7 moment, we saw it early in the Toronto series too, where you went and you thought to yourself, all right, he's dialed in. This is a new Bobrovsky we're seeing here. Yeah. And we, you could see it happening before he got sick down the stretch. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't, line was great. He helped them getting to the playoffs because he was called upon. And then when Bobrovsky was healthy, he kind of, you know, just made sure he finished the job just enough. Um, but if Bobrovsky never got sick, I don't know if we win. I think we might win Boston in five games, you know? Like, I think he would have got, gotten on a heater down the stretch. Because I think this year, he was dialed in. And his work ethic is always there. His fitness is always there. His mental game is what was dialed in now. And then with the team playing well, team starting to play better hockey and then learning how to basically play through the end of that Boston series it just became lights out like Bobrovsky was just like okay this is it this is you know I think everybody realizes after Boston series we can do something special here why not us you know and that just puts Bobrovsky on it this is one of his last chances. This might be his last chance to get a cup. He is giving everything, and I think, you know, that's what's allowing him to step up. That's what's allowing him to keep the heater and why I think ultimately the rest is not going to get to him. If anything, it's going to help him um, because he's going to have that energy. He, you know, it was like a – that Carolina series was a little longer than it appears – um, because of all that extra hockey they played. And, you know, I think it's good for him to kind of recover. I think it's good for Barkov. The lost training obviously benefits from that. Um, you know, I think that they're, you know, everyone's going to benefit. Vegas is sitting around. I mean, it's not nine or ten days, but Vegas is going to be sitting around six days, right? Or five days. Something, five you days. Know? Five days. So it's, you know, when they talk about extended breaks, it's five-plus days. So they're technically just in on an extended break here, too. Um, so I'm not too worried about it. You look at the you look at the Panthers' stats. Uh, I wish I could credit who, who I saw on Twitter say this, but they're undefeated this year with five or more days of rest in between games. Um, they, they do well. Uh, and this is a team where... Their their starts, their effort, um, their energy has hasn't really been the issue this year. Uh, the, it's just been you know that cohesion. Uh, I don't think that cohesion is going to go away because of nine ten days. I think it you know if anything, their cohesion at this moment is tighter uh, than it's ever been, and it's going to show up on the ice. I. I, I truly believe whoever wins this series is going to win it and earn it, but I also think that the other team is just as capable of winning it and is not going to lose it. They're not going to get, 
it's not you know they're not going to get badly outbeat they're not going to get badly outmatched they're not going to shrink and wilt they're going to be there fighting through the end um i know a lot of people are talking about this being underwhelming or not the matchup they want i think this is going to be one of the better matchups in a while i mean this is going to be better than that new york rangers loss in the in the to the kings right that was a snooze fest um, I mean, the, the the last run of this scope, I guess you could say, I mean, if you count the Blues, like the, the, the 2012 the Blues King, was a snooze fest too, geez. Oh, that, that series was interesting, but it, it's not as interesting as you could, like, you can't remember the kind of moments, even though that was a seven-game series. Yeah. You know, um, I remember more of the, the Washington-Vegas series than I do of Blues-Bruins, I have to be honest with you. I agree, I but agree. The other thing about it is, like, that 2012 Kings team was so dominant. They went up so early, and then they lost two, but Game 6 was such a snoozer. It was over within the first five minutes because of that major penalty. And, like, I don't think that's going yeah, to be this Steve series. Steve Bernier, way to go, yeah. bud. Steve Bernier, yes, very good. I'm glad that every, somebody remembers him uh, that doesn't want to curse his name as a Devils fan. But I, I wanted to... I was reading Don Lecision's preview, and I think it was 52-48. I think it was Vegas, but who cares? Like, it's so even. And I think... I've, I've seen some 60-40 Panthers, which has... I, I then have to look at some other ones to just kind of get off that I think high it's, horse. I think it's... I mean, it's, it's probably a coin flip. The reason why I'm going with Florida is not just because I want it to happen, obviously. It'd be the first time any of my teams that I follow have ever won a title of any sort. Like, a bunch of Maryland, you know, like, Maryland lacrosse has won titles. But, like, that's not the same to me as, like, the Florida Panthers winning one. And I would have never guessed that the Florida Panthers would be the first to do it. It's just that... I, I'm watching this team go on this run, and I'm watching all these things click together. Every team that gets to this point has a hot goalie, has luck, has stars playing above their, you know, above their heads or rising to the moment. You know, every team's got that that wins a Stanley Cup. Some different than others because every Cup run is different. But what this team is is doing is just the, as you said, the cohesion is so much better. The locker room has always been there, and I think. Fundamentally, what I see from Paul Maurice is even if I don't agree with some of the tactics that he and his coaching staff are using, I might never agree with them because I was a big fan of the way they used to play because that was obviously great and fun and they scored a million goals and they were a great regular season team. But like the way they're playing, Paul Maurice fully understands his dressing room. He knows what makes them tick and the bench understands him. And we got to the point where, as Paul Maurice was talking about, you know, letting the players run the bench, which is a thing that happens this time of year. But I think at some point he just got it. And whatever that point was, whether it was that probable players only meeting and around the turn of the new year when they were bad and they started an uptick, whether it was, as some people are saying, that rant against the Maple Leafs when they were playing like crap, you know, the coaches challenge that they won and I don't want to say it turned their season around, but... He's figured out the right balance of when of personal coaching, of the tactics, of letting the players do their own thing. He knows when he's got to step in. He knows when he has to yell at the refs. You know what I mean? He knows when to make the jokes that he's making. It's, yeah. I mean, we've talked about what this team missed, and that was a game manager. Somebody who can manage, you know, matchups in game, adjust, you know, between what's happening in the series, you know, work the refs, 
get the room right, you know, know when to not be in the room, know when to talk more, know when to turn that talk into, you know, fired up yelling and, and get them going and know when, and know when to, you know, push which players and which not to push. Um, that's what we've wanted. Just like we wanted a team that shows that they know when the big moments are, that they know, you know, how to lock things down that they're they're willing to win the board battles and and get pucks to the metal and things like that. We're seeing it now. They know. And it's not just being said this is what we need to do. Um it's it seems to be communicated in a way that's really hitting home and the players, you know, are are feel like it's, you know, something that they can easily do and repeat. Um and they're having fun doing it. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's just, it really is all coming together. Uh, yes, it's because other teams lost. Yes, it's because of luck, but they still put in the work on their end. They still got the goals they needed to. They still, you know, showed up and played through the whistle and got those tying goals under a minute left and winning goals under, you know, they, they're, they learn from Tampa. They learn from, you know, other teams you just made a really important point that i wanted to uh, expand upon with you and in general i didn't touch on this in the written piece and i meant to but you can only write so much is that they actually did learn lessons from their tampa series and paul maurice learned lessons from those tampa series when he was watching the video they figured it out and i think the number one thing that they figured out and it came with all the ref criticism particularly in the toronto series where it was always talking about refs and the, the Paul Maurice hand gestures, whatever. The Florida Panthers, the biggest lesson they learned from the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I think you got a little of it when John Cooper was in the studio for Game 2 of the conference finals. You can sense a little of what he's thinking behind the, you know, the, the public mask when you're on you know, a studio intermission. I think they learned from Tampa, which is, it's obvious that we have the skill to do this, but we got to know how to play to the line and not cross it. And the Panthers this postseason have been exceptionally good at playing to the line and not crossing it. After the Boston series, I mean, they took a lot of penalties and their power play for the Bruins obviously killed them. But in Toronto, they knew the Leafs weren't going to push back in the same way. And against Carolina, the Hurricanes just simply got frustrated when their stuff wasn't working. And the Panthers kept pushing. And they knew where the line was. And they didn't cross it. And... When they crossed it, when they took the penalties, they either knew that, okay, we can kill this off, or even if they didn't kill this off, we can bounce back because we know we're in their heads now. We have played, and that was Tampa's secret sauce the last two years. It wasn't necessarily the skill, is that these players, the, even the super skilled ones, were rat bastards to play against. And I'm using that term quite literally here because these are rat bastards. Right. But you know, one of the things, one of the things I think, you know, beyond just, playing to the line or just over it in the right moments and all this stuff is Florida. Like there's parts of the game where you're just so annoying. You get in the other team's head because you score at the, the absolute worst time when the other team scores and you answer quickly, that's terrible. When you score at the end of the period or you, you kind of you know, if there's a weak goal, like Florida did this against Toronto there was that weak goal by Barkov to touch to tie it up, right? Yeah, and game then two. Immedi- and then immediately after they scored again, that was it. 
that they Florida was like, all right, we just scored a minute like into the period. That's a backbreaking goal. Let's really break the spine. Let's amp it up. Let's turn. Let's turn it and let's get they're they're going to be stumbling they're going to be you know looking around trying to find an answer let's not give them time to find one well even in the first game of that series like the Leafs dominate the opening portion of that game and then Nick Cousins scores from you know where he scored from and then it's like that dictated the terms of of game one yeah and And, and I also think against Carolina when you look at like Go back to game two. Hurricanes dominate the start of that game. They get the early goal. They're going crazy, but it's only one nothing, right? And then Barkov, and then Barkov again. does what he does, and the whole game resets. You know what I mean? Yeah. In game four, I mean, yeah, there's the the hit on on um, Slavin, but the other thing that happens is like the goal they score early. It's not a pretty goal, but it works. You know, they they yeah, and all they of the things it. that they weren't good at in the regular season flipped all of the things that i said when you got to earn your own luck and they weren't earning their luck in the regular season they earned their luck this postseason they've absolutely earned it yeah and they they didn't just do it with the goals uh you know it was shift to shift uh you know that top nine was really able to just be unrelenting uh to finish every hit behind the net i mean we're talking the slaving hits but it was a lot of the hits, you know, by Barkov, Kachuk, that just, it's like, you know, another hip, another shoulder into me, you know, into the boards, crash, takes out my energy, it's tiring. Um, it doesn't just hurt, it really zaps your energy. Uh, sometimes when you're throwing all those hits, you know, so Florida's got to be careful of that, but also, you know, receiving the hits. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's not fun for the legs, uh, it's not fun for 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 you, and Going, you know, every time they dump the puck or every time the D have to turn around and try to quickly get to that puck a couple feet behind them or, uh, you know, with a guy coming down or the wraparounds, you know, to the far wing and stuff, uh, knowing that one is going to be a race for the puck, two, you can't turn it over because it keeps scoring when you turn it over, and three, even if it goes successfully, you're taking a hit. That's really annoying, and you start thinking about that stuff every time you turn around to do it. You know, you're getting the goalies out, and then, you know, the goalies are coming out to try to help you, and sometimes that creates confusion. And as soon as, you know, Florida sees the goalies come out, what do they do? They start even going harder uh, on the forecheck. And, uh, you know, that was something that wasn't happening. It was is constantly Florida playing well in the playoffs or, or well at times, but not not finding the ways – to to pour it on or when they did get lucky you know kind of relaxing a bit and and you know letting the other team back into it i mean it was too many times tampa's tied it up relatively easy after a florida goal or or retook a lead or something like that um or you know earned the earned a couple power plays to to zap florida's momentum well because what florida happened in those series is that it, it in the 21 series it was definitely tampa quick response but last uh, 2022, it was just they were the ones getting frustrated. And Tampa knew they got in their heads. You know, like the way, I mean, of course, the way game two of that series ended, obviously. But it was just those those backbreaking moments that they had been giving out 
they were on the receiving ends of last year. And those were the lessons that they learned. And the other part of it is, I know if you look at some of the numbers, Florida's not doing great, you know, relatively speaking, in terms of expected goals, what have you. But when you look back at Carolina and Toronto especially, did they really ever get into high-danger areas to test, not just Sergei Borowski, but to test the defense? Because I was listening again with Kevin Woodley with Dmitry Filipovich on the, on the PDO cast. It's a, it, the episode's a little while back, but if you go listen to it, like the high-danger chances... The stuff like that was pretty even. So that's also on Florida's defense being harder to play against. And some of it's obviously the checks, but also it's, you know, it's being harder on your matchups. It's being, it's not just amping your game up. It's understanding the well, your it's, system. It, it, it's being a lot smarter and knowing positioning, you know, knowing which way to pivot, you know, knowing how to position yourself to give up lanes that you want to give up and to block passing lanes or lanes for the puck carrier to skate into that you don't want to give up. Um, there's the big meme of Suter turning his back. Uh, oh, yeah. And going right and going, you know, to that check. I mean, think about that. You know, it's, you know, he was vacating space and giving a lane of a really good high scoring lane of driving to the net instead of, you know, positioning himself in a way where he cuts off that corner, making that forward think, Oh, I need to just shoot it because I'm not going to be able to turn in, use my backhand or, you know, find that extra couple strides to the inside to change my shooting angle. I have to go wide. I have to shoot from here. I have to curl back in the pressure. Um, or at least make them, you know, think he could have still blocked that passing lane while cutting off that angle, while making it harder for that guy or to contest that guy driving in for that far post. Uh, Florida has done a good job of, you know, mate for the large parts. I mean, they're never going to be perfect. You're always going to give opportunities, but when they do, they quickly recover. And they get back to making those smart decisions of if I position myself here, if I keep my toes up ice, if I keep my stick in the lane and towards the middle, and then, you know, you keep it stick on puck and, and take away lanes. If I get on my horse and keep my legs moving, I can keep up with my checks. I can, you know, keep up with plays and cut down on angles. You know, it's it's a lot. You take up a lot more space, just like goalies do when they come out. When you're closer to that puck carrier, so keeping those gaps in the D zone, just like you do on the rush, uh, is is so important. And Florida's just been working hard to do that, working hard but working smarter, where they don't have to run around all the time because you know their positions are well. They're keeping their sticks in the lanes to take up that maximum space, moving it around, closing off. You know, um, and and being smart about it. I've been really impressed, and it's you know what we've been waiting for. You know, Mahor is somebody who doesn't have the best foot speed, but somebody who uses his butt to his advantage. Uh, and I Happy mean that, Pride Month, everybody. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's true. Like the way he positions himself, the way he, you know. Is, is keeping his net puck position and using his butt to, you know, kind of corral and steer checks a certain way in front of the net so he can keep his stick 
free to challenge pucks and stuff. Um, that's just kind of like a small sample. You know, Gudis is really good at that. Um, sometimes he fails picking up sticks in front of the net, but for the most part, you know, he's good at boxing out. And you know Mon- the other thing that has been awesome to watch, it's those Gus Forsling, like, poke checks, you know, right. where he's being yeah. aggressive in the neutral zone to try to break up a prospective play, and you know it when you see it. Yeah. Obviously, and there it, are times just- when he's too aggressive, and we've seen that, but really in the postseason, since the end of the Boston series... I don't think he's got any one of them wrong. Like he's timing those perfectly now. Yeah, he's he's hiding his stick. He's keeping his top hand closer to his body a lot of times, and then you know using his timing to to kind of whip to 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 throw it out kind of like a tongue and, and snap pucks away. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard to judge how much room you have as a puck carrier and where the gap is if you know that that defenseman's kind of hiding the true length of his stick and his reach. Um, so, so yeah, it's been, it's been great, but they're just doing those, you know, plays that uh, you we've been seeing other defense do and being like, this is what they need to do. They need to just stop relying on their skill set and, you know, taking defense like it's forwards, you know, like you, you know, Montour, you know, you can see him offensively, calculating where he where that passing lane is to get that one timer and positioning his hips the right way and doing all that so the skill sets there it's just being like okay you know how you use that for offense you can use that defensively to to move guys out to block them out uh, and be able to get it Uh, I think I forget what game it was um but Gretzky mentioned I think Dennis Potvin as being one of the best guys at blocking out opening up lanes for other people to pick up rebounds or his goalies to pick up rebounds see stuff was because he would instead of go attacking the person he would go in you know skate through them turn around use his butt to box them out and then be able to clear pucks make passes or at least control the the lane around the puck um and you know it's that kind of things where you know a lot of guys are just over the top bruising trying to you know cross check and stuff like that but there's better ways and florida's finding the better ways to stay mobile clear pucks out give bobrovsky you know a good sight line if there is a second opportunity so it doesn't feel like carolina got those those chances in the inner slot you know toronto the same but even if you look at some of the stats it's like wow they got more chances than i thought they just didn't seem very threatening at the time, you know, like because it was handled. They were kind of, you know, one offs. They were, you know, kind of moments of where Florida could handle it and then break out the puck and then keep possession in their end for a bit. Uh, and it's, you know, thankfully, it's just working out great because that's the type of defense Vegas employs. That's the type of defense you need to get to a cup final and win. Um, Vegas is doing it a little more through size, but they definitely have some smart defenders on their back end. I mean, end. I, I, you know, Petrangelo is Petrangelo, but obviously Shea Theodore is great. Zach Whitecloud's really good. They've got under, you know, yeah. Martinez and McNabb have done, you know, have seen everything, you know, so they're on, you know, they're a little bit more old school in what they do in, in terms of like but Florida's. I, I'm not, I'm not worried about if I'm Florida because I'm thinking I have two. Two of the best tippers in the league. I mean, Pavelski's up there to round out that three, but 
between Reinhardt and Kachuk, those guys are are excellent in the in the mid hot to high slot, all the way down to around the crease, getting sticks on pucks, getting rebounds, creating that stuff. Not to and, mention and Panthers Bennett, defensemen are pretty Brady. good at getting shots through. And you yep. know, the thing the thing with with all these other teams is like the Toronto defensemen never shot the puck. When Carolina's defensemen shot it, a lot of them were just, you know, they got blocked or they went wide or they were just useless, you know? When yep, Florida, I, if they're going to take, if their defensemen are now getting shots through, you know, that gives you a chance for Reinhardt or Kachuk or somebody to get in front of the net and to use their hands to tip those things. Yeah, yeah but I mean, if you, I look at what Florida has done and their areas of improvement and their areas where they get success are the areas where I think Vegas is susceptible. They are vulnerable. I mean, you know, the, Vegas has never had to play a player like Kachuk, you know, this this postseason. He's, he, uh, you know, he's gen- the way the Florida generates their chances in that front is, is unique. Um, and it's something that Vegas is going to have to deal with. But that's on top of the fact that they're causing turnovers high in the zone getting the pucks, you know, to the center and on net in under five seconds, you know, from the turnovers, those counter strikes, you, you know, in that position, you're not usually around the net front. So they're going to have to figure out a way to win battles non-traditionally because just their boxing out and overpowering guys off the cycle isn't going to be the be-all, end-all of this series um, because Florida you know, operates offensively a bit different than what they're used to. Um, and I think, you know, they also have the guys who are the most skilled at getting to the net, getting to the dirty areas. Lundell, another guy, lost straining. I mean, these are guys who excel at getting to pucks in traffic, getting, you know, going to the net. They don't hesitate to shoot. they they get their sticks in, and they and you know how many times have we had goals overturned because we've had sticks in pads. We don't care. We go for those. Did, did it feel then a little cathartic that the game-winning goal in Game Four was not overturned <laughs> yeah. to goal here yeah, because the Mike, stick was in the pads? Yeah, Mike McKenna still repping the goalie union. You know, is still fighting for that one to be overturned. Uh, but I'm sorry, bud, that's a good goal, and that's what he Florida played in the Panthers organization. Come on, buddy, give it, give it. Yeah. I know he now he lives out there, but come on, buddy, you played in the Panthers yeah. organization he's, for a while. He's he's a good guy, but, but I disagree with that call. But well, anyway, I think, I like, think for me, doing, it's it's also having that killer instinct around the net. Oh yeah, like, they didn't but, used to have that 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 instinct to just you know go to the whistle, but they've lived through hard experiences of, you know, that Boston goal, uh, getting, Oh getting yeah. The Marshall one, they heard a whistle and they still scored after the whistle and it counted. So Florida's just going to live by that mentality. And it's been great to see. Them I, I think Paul Maurice said it in a way that, you know, he's talked about all of the things that did end up happening. And I have to be fair to him. They all, most of them came true, but he talked about, you know, when we go into training camp next year, I don't need to talk about, you know, coaching the hard experiences because everybody's already been through them. You know, like it's even if they lose this, obviously we hope they don't. But even if they lose this, they're going to have the learned experiences now of what they just went through and they can rely on that. It becomes second nature and how Tampa became so good at this, you know, and how these teams become, you know, consistent playoff performers is 
you are able to rely on those learned experiences. And because you have guys who win moments, which is what Tampa and Colorado have had, and obviously the Capitals had in 2018, and Crosby and Malkin and all of them for the Penguins, you've got guys who win those moments now with Kachuk and with Barkov, and we knew they could, but now they don't have to worry about that, you know, because they didn't have guys that necessarily won the moments. And that's, all of that learned experience means that this is replicable. They can do this again. And, theoretically, they can do this with even more talent come next year because the stalls won't be here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that's I'm, I'm what's trying exciting. Not to, I, I'm trying not to get any bad karma too much. No, 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 no. Of saying anything too negative and uh, everything. No, but I'm, uh, I'm looking I, forward to this as just as a hockey fan, but also but obviously. Like, you know, a, next year's next year's next year. We have yeah. a whole offseason to talk about it and everything. But this, this team, you know, there's not much more to say other than if they come out, if they stay healthy, knock on wood. I'm knocking on wood right now. Don't worry. Uh, two <laughs> different types of wood. Uh, so if that's, you know, those things happen, to me, they're the underdog to everybody else. To me, I expect them to win. I think – you know, six times out of ten, they win this. Uh, I, I really do, if not seven out of ten. I, 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 trust I don't know how – I mean, you might be able heart. to say that Vegas is slightly more talented in certain areas, but – Maybe. I mean, I mean Toronto were, yeah, and that didn't matter. Yeah, fourth, fourth line maybe. We'll see if that becomes a storyline. It, it, it always can. Um, but, I mean – I, I think, you know, you look at the fourth line and Mark Stahl, that's where they're more talented for sure. You look at goaltending, that's where we're more talented for sure. First line, I think I'll entertain that it's, you know, the Barkov line versus Eichel line. But, you know, Kachuk is is something that Vegas doesn't have. Uh, I think our second and third lines are better than Vegas' second they're, and third They're line. not scared throwing out that, um, you know, Lundello strain yeah, and, 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 and I, Reinhardt. And I truly believe, as much as, I, you know, I think uh, Petrangelo and, and Theodore are, are, are good defensemen, um, the top three, I like Florida's top three better defense i think you can say in terms of upside because you know what they're all capable of doing when they're playing at their best and the one thing for vegas i'm just saying who i would want to roll on the ice like Mm. if it was up to me if you were saying you know you know these three are playing to their best and these and so are these three who would you want i would take montour ekblad and forsling playing at their best because i've seen what Montour's best is and and I'm now on the on the opinion that he might be able to be that number one defenseman between him and Ekblad you have a strong dominant right side of your D Forsling has definitely been good enough um and you know supplants White Cloud uh you know and takes care of that so I you know and I mean the Radko Gudis intangibles of the beard, you know. I mean that's that's you, well, that, Vegas don't have that. That Gudis Mahora pairing, you know, I'm sure in the regular season at at least for sure, you know, outperforms that third pairing for Vegas. Um, I mean it's really just you know can the stall line and can Mark Stall 
not do not you know if they can just be neutral if they cannot not damage the florida panthers i think in every aspect florida's got this um you know i'm not trying to be too cocky or everything but i think they have the slight edge in in a lot of the different areas i think they have the narrative they have the juju they have whatever you want to call it they they're just the team i want to pick you know, and I know that's bias and everything, but um, there's a lot of bias in there. But, you know, this is a core that I said I like. I want to build around, you know, defensive forwards, finish forwards, you know. They've, they've been a Oh, that picture of Barkov, Lostarainen, and Lundell around the, uh, the Prince of Wales trophy was just, oh, that felt so good to see that. That was pretty good. I agree, man. I mean, there's been some great pictures that I, I can't, I can't wait to decide what my, you know, all my screensavers and lock screens are going to be and, and what I'm going to get. Oh, I mean, I'm not say, I'm and, not going to speak anything. And, I don't want to say anything for but, fear of jinxing it. You know, but like we've already had some good pictures and, and photographic moments uh, so far. Um, and I expect there to be more. Um, and this, I, I, I'm, I picking, mean, I, I'm picking I Florida good. too, by the way. I, I mean, at this point you have to just oh, because. I am, yeah. What I mean, what kind of I, I can't. I mean, I'm a cynical person. Some people say I can be negative. Oh, loud. You're mouth, talking to another cynic here. But, but after the after the Toronto series, I started picking them. And after Game One against Carolina, I don't, I don't know how you can pick against them. I just don't know what kind of fan wouldn't pick their team to win when they get to the final. Because at that point, you should have the belief in the team. They've overclimbed three. You know they. They climbed three mountains. They've, they've, you know, done X, Y, and Z. I mean, you look at, if I was a Knights fan, I'd be picking the Knights because, you know, they knocked off, you know, a couple teams. Everything's going. They have some good health. Their goalies are playing well enough and this and that. Their new coach is showing himself well. Everybody's feeling good. Everybody's having fun. You got to believe in that team. Um, but personally... Barkov over Eichel, Barkov over Stone, Kachuk over Eichel, Kachuk over Stone. You know, Montour, I think, is going to continue to keep having this this storybook year. Bobrovsky, I I want I think he's deserved so many good things with the positivity he's had, the drive he's had, the work he's put in, um, and I just think that this team is deserved. Uh, what they've gotten and they're continue continue to play and get what they deserve. I just I just totally believe it and I'm ready to be on the next podcast saying maximum pain yada yada yada. <laughs> but um I I truly think man like this has been great. I got the spectrum seats out. I got them ready to watch this cup final in. Um, and and, and know, the other part of it be is cuz we haven't be talked about it and we're not going to this would kill Marcheseau and Smith and that narrative forever if they won that series. It's over now. And also Verhage's better than Marcheseau ever was, but regardless of that, this would kill this would kill that narrative forever. Like we would never have to hear about the expansion after him. They beat him to win the cup. I'm looking forward to I I mean they're going to have a watch party at the rink for the first two games. They should have done it earlier, but that's great and the the atmosphere and sunrise for those games is going to be just it's going to be awesome i can't wait to see what that atmosphere is like in sunrise and the heat were able to overcome the celtics 
They have to fumigate that building now. I don't think any South Florida team should be allowed to play at TD Garden. For theirs, actually, in our case, it should be they should always be allowed to play at TD Garden. They might just move all those games to Hartford going forward. They probably should do that, um, considering what's happened in that building. This two game sevens, the way that they happen to Boston teams by the hand of South Florida, you, you have to love to see that. And and I think the uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about it with Heat. You're not a basketball guy. I I am more, but nope. I'm not a Heat fan. Could not care. But for me, but for all of you out there who root for both, it's those teams are feeding off each other, and that's really cool. I talked a little about it with uh, with David Dwork, and I know most of you out there are obviously congratulations to you because you get to do this every other day pretty much for two weeks. It's very taxing, but it's going to be fun. It'll be a moment you'll remember for the rest of your life. But the teams are feeding off each other in a way that's that's pretty cool. And I've always said if I want the Florida Panthers to emulate the Miami Heat. Because the way the Heat have done this are just so impressive. And now they're doing it in a way that is kind of Heat-like. And that's that's very cool. We're going to be talking about this series. I mean, on Twitter, I'm going to try to keep my, my head clean for it. But just before we go, I wanted to touch on a couple other things in the league. Very briefly, we talked about the Flyers and Keith Jones. Again, really nice of Keith Jones to spend all the time he should be using on draft pack calling the Stanley Cup final. That's very nice of him. Um I don't. I think you know. Hearing what Barry Trotz said, <laughs> I think Keith Jones probably said something similar. And and Breer, you know, he probably told Breer like, "Listen, dude, this is your your thing. You go find me, guys." How about um, uh, how about Barry Trotz? Of all people saying what he said, I want to have an exciting team. I can find third or fourth liners. You go get me some offense to Andrew Brunette. You know what? It's kind of anti Predators, but I like it. I think that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. I, mean, I hope I mean, it doesn't end for them the same way that it ended for all yeah. brunette teams recently, but but I mean, listen, Trotz showed that he can morph he can he was becoming more and more modern with Washington. And you know, but then he was hired to do a specific job with the Islanders. You know, because that's Lou Lamarillo's hockey. That's not so much Barry Trotz hockey. He was hired to do it and be the messenger a good communicator and, and everything. And, and Trotz was happy to do it because that was the job. He was able to get enough out of him to compete for the cup. You know, what was that twice? Yeah, two, you know? two runs. Uh, and, uh, you know, for, for me, you know, going in and being president of hockey operations um, and, and, and really, you know, having a whole say on everything and, and kind of running everything you're going to want to be different. You're, you're going to want to look at things organically and, and, and subjectively and see this is the way the game's going. These are the, these are the types of coaches uh, that, the, that the league and these players need and want. Uh, I'm going to try to find somebody that has a little bit of experience but still needs some time. But, you know, the idea is you hope Brunette is able to live up to what you think he's going to be able to do there's some good signs. There's some things um, to be concerned about. But the things to be concerned about I always had were that he's not ready right now. They don't need him to be ready right now. I think that they're approaching things the right way. Um, and it shows that they're, you know, good hockey minds adjust to what they're being asked to do, the position they're in, and, you know, what the time calls for. Uh, and and they, that's why they continue to get jobs and go to different organizations. And, if and I things was a like... Predators fan, hearing what he said, I think I'd have to be just ecstatic. Like, this is Barry Trotz 
saying I want exciting hockey. I want to open it up. And then him going and saying, I can find third and fourth well, liners. That that had that would yeah. make me that I mean to be so fair, his his job his job is now, you know, he is marked on how many tickets they sell. He is well, you know, some of that stuff now becomes part of his responsibility and um you know i think working with a guy like ovechkin working with kuznetsov working with some with oshi in in washington seeing barzell seeing you know just some of the younger guys and noah dobson and, and kind of having that experience on the island um i think he's understanding where this is going and you can't I don't. I think he realized you can't. Every year in the future, you will be able to compete less and less unless you adapt to that style. Um, I, I think that's that's true, and you've seen it with Maurice. I mean, Maurice is not. No, he is know, not the same coach he was in Winnipeg because his yeah. leading center and captain backchecks. <laughs> well, yes, but also you know that's what the locker room wanted. That's what I think Zito and Barkov. I think. Are and even Kachuk is are all in agreement that you know they want they want a strong locker room. They want the guys to love each other. They care for each other. They want that trust. They want that positivity, uh, and you know that they'll work hard for it. And I think you know that all kind of makes sense. Um, and I, I mean it's it I, I just. I just think that you know Florida's got it right, and uh, with with Maurice somehow, and uh, you know he's been able to adapt, and I think teams are trying to see that to to you know show we get a coach, we get a GM that works. You know Montreal's shown the same same thing. You know they got a coach that that needs a little time, but has a lot of good qualities, brings out a lot of good in players. You can tell that by the way he's talked about in the media. If players didn't like it and executives didn't like it, uh, and at least enough of them, he wouldn't be, you know, brunette wouldn't be talked about as highly as he is. I mean, um, as 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 I want to say, you texted me yesterday about this or whatever day it was about brunette and just like, I and I think the reason why he's not the guy in Florida, New Jersey, was just the immediacy of needing that little extra something that a veteran coach could provide yeah. to get the right veteran coach, but because the Predators are retooling or whatever. Like, they could do a lot of different things and can be aggressive if they want to be because they've got, you know, they've got plenty of goalies. they got capital they can use. But it allows Brunette time to grow with that team, and he can grow as a coach without feeling the immediate pressure in Florida and Jersey of you got to win a cup now because yeah. he's not a cup-winning coach at the moment. Well, and I, I mean, think... I think New Jersey, the bar is you gotta, you got to be pressing for the Eastern Conference final. I mean that that's still a high bar, I think for him. You know he might be he might be you know, hey if we make the playoffs that's great. If we don't that's that's okay too. That's kind of the level he's at right now. And I think you know he'll he'll start to walk you know crawl walk run, um, and it might be you know at a pretty fast clip. But you know this is where he's at right now. I I think it, he fits in me, really well with the Predators. I do. Yeah, it, and you know this is this is the best thing for him. To me, you know, there's the things I I would want to see him in that level first because um, you know being I don't really know what exactly his 
impact is on a bench um, when he's kind of been giving the reins. You haven't seen that, so it's hard to tell. Um, how much of a disciple of Q is he? How much of what New Jersey, you know, did he change? Did he fiddle with? Um, I know he's a big PP guy, but uh, I I thought the power play under him in Florida was anemic. Was I mean, think about the 2022 playoffs and how bad um, it was. You know, so I'm not I'm not so sure how much of you know New Jersey's success isn't just you know their personnel being young and prolific when it comes to the but production. Can, but the other thing that's good about this for Brunette, and we've we've talked a little negatively about him, but I never doubted his ability to coach. Is I think it's better for him to be in a Nashville situation than say an Anaheim situation where that team's still going to be really bad for a couple years and the losses start to wear on you. Like unless you're a specifically wired person or you're Marty St. Louis who's going to have the the free reign to do whatever the heck he wanted to and for the right reasons obviously. Like you you don't want to be in a position where the losses can take a toll on you early. And that's why another situation, like I'm sure Calgary would have wanted him, but there would have still been a lot of pressure on him, and he would have been hired. Yeah, I don't know if he would have. I don't know if he would have been a good fit. No, I don't think so because that's a veteran team, and also the immediate connection with with Huberto would have been overwhelming in a way that he, you know, he's he has connections to Nashville. Well, I I think, but his connections to Huberto, but it's like you know, it's not like Gallant. Like you know, like we know for a fact Huberto likes Gallant. We don't know shit about him and Burnett. Like, he was there for half a year. Hubert just did well under him. But, you know, I don't, I don't, it's not like they traded Hubert because he had a fit because Burnett wasn't the coach. Like, that's not, and I think some people tie them together like they're buddy buddy. Um, a lot of players on the Panthers uh, had hit, hit success with Burnett as a coach, but then, you know, had success with Maurice as a coach and would probably tell you, you know, Maurice is their guy if they had, if they had to pick. I mean, he, I mean Paul Quinville's Maurice took them to the Stanley Cup guy. final. I can't blame him. And one yeah, other thing, but, I mean, the, the, the Capitals hired Spencer Carberry. Good for them. He's a good coach. I had, I had to look up who he was, to be honest with you. That's that's fair. I mean, it's I follow too many Toronto name. people on Twitter, so that's probably why. I also follow Capitals people, too. And that's and that's leftovers from my days at Maryland. I um, don't follow much of either. And that's by, fair enough. By and a point. In my case... Now we just one more topic because we recorded this Thursday, so we get to talk about Kyle Dubas going to Pittsburgh. And I know you, your Flyers fan heart, is broken about this. Um, I well, was just because li- Dubas just because great. of the well, he's he's good. Well, I don't know how great he is, but he's good. I thought you know his mistake was not understanding, or maybe he did understand, and he just wanted to force the hand. But I don't think he had a winning proposition. Uh, and, the, you know, the actions he took and everything. It, I, You know, Friedman said it, you know, in a way where it was kind of like you just don't negotiate with Bell and, and, Rogers. and, and Rogers in that way. You don't do this, and that's an automatic, you know, that's an automatic we're not going to renew if that's how things I, are I can be. also— And that's something I don't agree with. Um, but I would have told, I would have, I wouldn't have done what Dubas did because I knew where it would have ended. I just wouldn't have renewed and just taken the Pittsburgh job, you know. But that's because I'm going to be honest. He knew about he was going to get the Pittsburgh job before 
and that's why he renegotiated with Toronto. He's and he's already under investigation uh, for his conflict of interest with the representative, his agent who represents him, also representing AHL players. That you know, um, it's a little bit of an ethical conundrum because uh, you know there's just some some unsavory things that you know have the potential to happen in a relationship like that um under the table sort of deals of you know i'll get you this i'll get you this if you do this for me types kind of stuff but also you know it's easier to to bang out deals with pittsburgh uh under the table and behind closed doors so uh you know when you go to toronto and make demands that brendan shanahan has to leave me alone or get gone um and i want to be a I want this much more money and all this stuff at the last minute. It's because he has, he knows that he's, you know, the guy in Pittsburgh, if he wants it. I think the one thing that isn't talked about enough with that relationship before we head out is that it is evidently, evidently, if you read the tea leaves, the friction between Dubas and Shanahan was high. Like those two weren't really getting along. Now, relationships can sour over time. I think the fact that it's Toronto and they were always losing in the first round and the pressure was there, that friction was building. I don't know whether it was the friction of Dubas wanting more autonomy because he has to manage upwards to Shanahan and then to the board and then back down again, and that would be annoying in a workplace. I completely understand that, although he should understand what his workplace is at this point. I think whatever it is that soured that relationship, it clearly soured. And I think Dubas was probably willing to go for that play, not just because he knew Pittsburgh might have been in his back pocket, but, you know, he's like, the relationship here is already pretty sour, you know? Like, either they, I get what I want here, you know, or I can probably get more power elsewhere because everybody's going to want my service, because everybody would have wanted yeah. him. I mean, it, it's amazing that Toronto made the one change, and apparently they're not making many other changes. I mean, this they, is a team, and I want to say this the on the one change I would have made. Oh, oh, go on. Like, it's not the one change I would have made. Like, I, like Keith and Shanahan would have been the guys I would have removed. I would have moved Dubis up and brought and kept Pridheim, who is a guy that Pridham. they're trying to keep. Yeah, and you know, I think for me, that's you know, and I would have you know brought in a new coach. Let's see what Dubas wanted to do with the core and stuff like that. But I, I think that team needs to make a change in the, in the core four. And that's not because all of those players aren't good, but it's just that after six cracks at it, you got to change something up at the highest level. You've tinkered around the edge all the time and it hasn't worked. Yeah. I mean, and it's me, not that the Kachuk trade back was the a, example, you know, to me, to me, you back into a Marner trade. I'm not trading Nylander given this, his contract and everything. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to sign him to another good contract. Um, I'm not, I mean, unless Matthews is telling me I'm not resigning, you know, why would you trade Matthews? And then you can't trade Tavares. So then you're left with Marner. Uh, you know, you can't trade Riley. You're stuck with, you know, I, I don't know if you have to trade Marner, but I definitely would listen. I would definitely listen to Matthews and Nylander and try to trade Tavares too um, and just see what you go away with. But, yeah, the, I, the only change I wouldn't have made was taking Kyle Dubas out of the equation. 
not because I think he's one of the best GMs, but I think he's one of the better GMs simply because he thinks differently. He thinks more uh, progressively, um, and he's delivered the most results in Toronto during his lifetime. So, what I mean, to me, it's not his fault that the core hasn't lit for hasn't lived up to uh, their abilities. Yes, he did kind of stand up for them and give them, you know, some things maybe a little too early before they won the playoff series and stuff with the dress code and the music during practice and this and that. But again, you know, that's his prerogative and they've, you know, I think to me, he still should have had the bullet in his chamber to make a move with the core four and and see what they could do. Now, maybe that was one of his demands, that he didn't want to move Marner. He didn't want to move one of the core four, and he wanted to do it differently. Um, and he wanted the power, and he wanted more money, and he wanted you know, more time with his family, and he wanted all this different stuff. Uh, and maybe he was just asking for everything because he kept asking for stuff until he heard the no so he could get to pres to Pittsburgh. Uh, so he could say, it wasn't me, you know, it wasn't my fault, all this stuff. You know, I wanted to be in Toronto, look more like a good guy to his fans, you know, the people who support him. Did you see who the rumor is, one of the rumors of who he could hire his GM? Uh, Cam Lawrence, yeah. Yep. And, you know, if that's the case, good for Cam Lawrence. I mean, I know we had a lot of questions about the drafting and, and some of that, but it was, you know, more difference in how we would do things or just, you know, wanting to, to see some results bear out. But I think, you know, over time, what he's been able to do is shown that, you know, he has deserved more and more roles and different things. And, and, you know, good for him. I, if, if he's a real candidate and everything, I, I hope, you know, he goes far and he gets eventually. A I GM hope all job of those somewhere. people can get very but, good I jobs mean, in hockey. Yeah. I just want to keep the well, couple good not, ones public. <laughs> just not some others. No, it's um, not some others. But I do want to, one story. I mean, but it wasn't it wasn't the draft guys that we were so unhappy with in the hockey. Nope. Ops. I mean, we know for a fact. I know for a fact that Dale Talon had no issue with those guys. Like yeah. they were well, part I, of I mean, the state. They didn't get let go of until after I think it was 21 and that was for budget reasons because of coming out of the pandemic, you know, Dale yeah. Talon kept them yeah, all maybe. on well after all of the 2016, 17 stuff ended. So he definitely valued them. I also could say it was their development model that was broken and we never got to see these draft picks succeed. And I think he has a good chance to be the guy in, in Pittsburgh because I think Carolina um, for whatever we'll reason, it's just not going to be Tulski. I don't. Who, I I don't know what that is. Who, well, I mean, if I was Carolina, I'd be giving Tulski the GM job. You know, maybe I mean, he basically already is. Let's be honest. Yeah. So I mean, I would maybe they're just paying him out the nose to keep him there, and and just saying, listen, like we have Waddell, who's not going anywhere. We have the guy in the GM. I don't even know who their current GM is. It's Waddell. He's technically their GM. No, I thought he's their president. He's both. Oh, he's both? Well, then just kick him upstairs. Just make it official. I mean, I you wouldn't want to lose him. I mean, I think if Carolina loses them, then they deserve everything they've gotten. Uh, and, I, you know, they'll, they'll definitely suffer the consequences of it. Because to me, that's 
that's one of the next guys who should get a shot and one of the guys I would hire, one of the guys I was hoping Philadelphia was serious about hiring or, or would give an interview to. But, you know, I, I thought that to me, Briere as president, Keith Jones as, you know, they could have brought him in as something or other, VP of this or whatever if you really wanted to do it. And then you brought in Tolski as GM. To me, that would have been, you know, the best of of what a realistic option in Philadelphia would be. I, I either way, I'm happy that. But I mean, I mean there's Cam a lot Lawrence of good guys. Name in. Yeah, I mean, I just like that there's GMs that are young that uh, are coming for more of a, a draft and developments, or they come with more progressive ideas or this that you know. Because usually with draft and development, those guys are more data inclined lately, and and you well, know. Well, I wanted to make my one thing on Bill Zito, and we can get out of here on this because I did read some pieces at the Athletic. Uh, Mark Lazarus did one where he was detailing the Panthers, you know, rise from a pile of crap to where they are, and there were some details that were not quite right, but that's okay. He doesn't cover the Panthers every day. I'm not going to be grudging for it, and I liked reading uh, Michael Russo's stuff as well. Obviously, he covered the Panthers and yesteryear and he covered a terrible team I remember specifically there was an MBSW episode in 2016 when the Panthers were in the midst of firing everybody and Russo was on with them and I can remember Michael Russo saying specifically this is the history of the Florida Panthers they get a little success and they get over their skis and they make changes when they don't have to and he called it at the time when everything was going wrong there and I give him a ton of credit for that because he knows he knows the Panthers organization pretty well. But the one thing that Bill Zito did extremely well in his front office, and I think this is so important as you look for the next crop of executives in the league, is that Bill Zito brought everybody into his front office. He's got, you know, his agents. You know, Brett Peterson's a former agent. He's got the guys with front office experience. Your traditional hockey men, the Paul Fenton, who was a terrible general manager but is a good scout. You know, Rick Dudley. He's got Sonny Mehta. He's got it, you know, Sonny Mehta's in all those shots in the, in the, you know, in the boxes. So he clearly trusts him. And we know Bill Zito values analytics. He's got Roberto Luongo in there as a former player. And by the way, I do think one day Roberto Luongo is going to be GM of the Panthers. I just think that one day and Bill Zito gets, you know, a promotion upstairs. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I do think one day it might happen. And if you have all of those perspectives in your front office and you're allowed for everybody to get their opinions in and to work through it, even if it's a little testy at times because you come from different angles and different perspectives, that's a good way to build a front office. As many perspectives as you can and you have somebody in the, the hot seat who respects the synthesis of those views, right? He lets everybody have their say. He lets everybody have their moment, but everybody works together towards a common goal, and that is the modern front office. As much as I love Kyle Dubas and Cam Lawrence and all those guys, I think the modern front office is bringing absolutely all of these perspectives together. And if you do that successfully, you can win. You just have to find the right mix. And all of the moves Bill Zito made, you know, there are a couple that we quibble with, but he's gotten most of them right. And that's the sign that the process in his, that he has been entrusted from up top and the process that he has set up is working. And that's what I've most admired about what he's done is the synthesis of views and making sure everybody has a say and making sure everybody can balance it because you don't get an almost complete swing of exceptionally great moves that he has made with a couple exceptions 
without having that process in place. And I think that process is down to the synthesis of views he has. And I've long believed that, and I believe it even more now, because, you know, they made mistakes last year, but they learned from them. And so I think that's the lesson that people should be taking from this, is if you're going to build a front office, make sure you have a nice balance of every single view you could have in hockey. Get your analytics folks in there, but you're going to need former players. You're going to want, you know, in some well, yeah, the hockey I mean, men. I, I think there's lots of different mixes and there's lots of different ways you can do it, but it's about, you know, everybody buying in and being good with the way that, you know, you need to work it. You know, the way that, you know, there's some hockey ops that can be larger and, you know, and have more of those, but then you don't need to have every view. If, you know, you just get enough to, I don't know what to say, but he's balling on a budget I mean, it's too, like, Bill Zito. He like, does not have I, I Kyle Dubas is in Toronto's budget, you know? Yeah. Like I mean I, I think that there is you know, they're they're making it work and they're finding just like with their players, you know, it's just about finding that cohesion and executing. Um there is a lot that, you know, could be said. I mean, you're in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I, I never would have guessed they'd be here. Um, but now that they're here, it's like, oh, I wish they did like one more, get that one more defenseman. Uh, I, you know, I wish they did something like that in the off season instead of, you know, just throwing their hands up. Um, or, you know, you know, there's always the, the Sherratt thing and stuff like that. And, um, they're not going to be perfect. You know, but like, we're not perfect. Yes. But. I think, you know, a lot of it is just taking the gimbals and, and knowing that you can get lucky. And that's what they've they've done for, for some of this stuff. And hopefully they, he, Zito can keep it up. And um, I don't know if there's going to be a Zito president of Hockey Ops anytime soon, but maybe. Well, my one other thought about this before we leave is... Um... I've loved Roberto Luongo's reactions in the boxes when they and he's tweeted about it. It's obviously very funny. Um, I if they win and cross your fingers, I we obviously all hope they do. What is going to be his reaction when they? He's gonna run down to the ice through the crowd to probably get on the ice. Although you know, if if they win again, cross your fingers. Lots of cool cup lifts could happen. Bobby Lou finally getting one. I'd feel so happy for him. Anyway, I'm so excited for the final. I don't want to keep talking about it. I actually just want to see the damn games at this point because the 10 days have felt like forever. And that's not just because I, uh, I've had to deal with an insurance company for the last few hours. Yikes. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I can't wait for the Stanley Cup final. We've got more coming soon. Good night and good hockey.